0: Welcome back for part two of my conversation with Priya Saxena of Equitable Future and our discussion about diversity and our work in this area. Today, we continue our conversation about why this work is hard, necessary, and how we can use all the support we can get. Enjoy.
1: You can't look at your reflection in the mirror if you close your eyes every time you step up to the mirror, right? Right, right. It's the same thing. You can't see what society is if you refuse to acknowledge it. So my work with all of my clients starts with acknowledging where we are right now, how we got here and sitting with that. Yeah, we sit with that and we we think about it. We talk about it, we reflect. We make time for experiencing those emotions whether they are guilt, shame, confusion, shock, comes up a lot and we experience them. I think so much about the work that I do is really in reconciliation and understanding how we got here So that's my cat a little Minerva loves to be on the podcast star in the making. That is really where I guess I bring my values but also like my little East Coast side of me yeah and just saying like, like a value and an, and a key part of doing this work and starting your journey off on the right step is knowing how we got here. So if we're going to work together, that's something we're going to do. Yeah. And it will be hard,
0: but we'll do it. And it'll be hard. And it's not a reflection of you as an individual, but it is a lesson in the systems that were built to exclude, not to include. Yeah. One of the things that I really like about working with you is that you helped give voice or a verbiage or a way to talk about the things that I have only felt, but didn't Mm. know how to put into words. Mm -hmm. So things like white dominant culture, characteristics (laughs) of white dominant culture. So I have hired Equitable Future and you to come provide training to our staff at the Vita agency. And part of that training was a handout, a resource on the characteristics of white dominant culture And then we got to work through what those things are and and identify them and not just identify them like in a shameful way, but be able to give a voice to it. I think part of some of this sometimes, and I don't know if it's the Seattle me or if it's just the me me, but where I'm like, I know exactly how that feels and I've done and I could explain it to you in a roundabout way, but I didn't know what to call it. And sometimes I think having something to call An action, a feeling, a structure, a consequence makes it more validating. I feel more validated there was a term for this thing that I thought it was just me feeling this way or me being frustrated by this structure of how this work was supposed to be done. And it was
1: like batting my head against the wall. Yeah. And and what you're describing is white. Supremacy culture or white dominant culture, you can call it either. It is the notion that the issues we have in our society, if you're imagining like an ocean or an ecosystem, are the shark. And you could just pick out the shark and then take it out of the water and we're safe. There's no more, you can go swimming, whatever. But our society is built in a way that really is untenable for people of color and indigenous people. So it's not the shark. That is the issue. It is the water. Our water is poisoned with these concepts that really harm all of us are harmed by the characteristics of white supremacy culture, which include things like perfectionism and a sense of urgency, binary thinking, so much more. And what's important when we think of white supremacy culture is that it's not just the characteristic itself, it's how the characteristic is used as a tool of oppression. Right. So for example, like I said earlier, sense of urgency is a common characteristic of white supremacy culture. It is this feeling that everything needed to be done yesterday and that everything is the most important thing you've ever done. And that if you don't do it now, not only are you behind, but you're also a failure. That's where the perfectionism comes in. Yes, And that's when a sense of urgency really is really harmful because is everything due right now? And we delay some deadlines. I think we'll survive if we do that. But sometimes a sense of urgency is important. When there's an emergency, you need a sense of urgency. But if you're using a sense of urgency to control people or to give people limited time to give you feedback or to collaborate with you, then you're using the sense of urgency as a tool of white supremacy culture. And that's where it becomes a problem.
0: That realization really helped me and others on my team start asking questions about projects, right? Yeah. What is driving (laughs) this timeline? Yeah. What's driving this due date? And a lot of times it was nothing, right? Mm -hmm. But Mm -hmm. we are in both consulting space and a service space where, you know, yeah, they might not be intentionally using that to control, but it is a dominating characteristic. If we fail, then it's our
1: fault and mm-hmm. yeah it does set up this power dynamic and it it may not be intentional but because it's such a common thing it just becomes the norm it's it's the default that you want to get something as soon as possible it's not the default to say hey i want this by tuesday but what works better for you like <laughs> it's just that right. small simple step of asking if something works for somebody that makes a big difference
0: (laughs) totally that is so fascinating i know we've had this conversation before but i wanted to bring it up again and that i think i have always been under this sense growing up that because i'm a person of color a woman of color whatever i did had to be heads and tail above quality deliverable time turnaround I had to perform at the highest of the high to even compete or to be taken seriously or to be respected. And
1: that really is fucking exhausting. That's so tiring. It's It's truly terrible. Yeah. Wouldn't recommend. I wish I
0: had, I wish I had met you when you were eight and I was however (laughs) old I was. And you could have told me these things and I didn't have to live my adult. Most of my adult life feeling
1: like that. Oh, my goodness. No, I was too shy to talk to strangers. I was probably like reading in some closet. (laughs) It's so weird, Malia. (laughs) Oh, my God. I love that.
0: Look at you now. Look at you now. I know. Reading on couches. I don't know if that's imposter syndrome that I'm trying to keep up or if it's just a construct of, of race and power. But it's just, I think, realizing that's where a lot of my sense of urgency was coming from. Mm -hmm. which could also be called anxiety. I don't know. It's so (laughs) liberating for me.
1: Yeah. I was like, oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Oh, I actually did enough today. I'm so glad to hear you had that experience because I think a lot of times when you see these characteristics of white supremacy culture for the first time, they are shocking and they can close you off. But what I saw with you was an opening and a curiosity. And I think that was so important not to prescribe what you were experiencing, but I think it was all of the above. It was the systems that create imposter syndrome and feelings of racial inferiority because the standard is created to, to extract. Yeah. The system is created to extract from us and not treat us, all of us, with the wholeness that we deserve. And I'll say this, and I think it's really important. None of us benefit from white supremacy culture. I think what it really comes down to is that all of us can perpetuate the characteristics of white Mm -hmm. supremacy culture, but really the only people who benefit from it are the people who have been historically in power, and that's white people in the white community. So we all really have to do work to distance ourselves from those characteristics. Yeah. And not just in our work, but in our personal lives too, and our personal relationships. Our work and relationships are so much stronger when we value collaboration over individualism. And when we value imperfections, overholding people to a standard of perfection, that is just unattainable. Yeah. And it's hard work to distance ourselves from these characteristics. It is like, it is, it's work. It's hard work that you have to be mindful of and practice and challenge yourself on a daily basis, but it's so worth it. Do you find that you're also working hard on those things? Oh my gosh, of course. Every day is hard. I... Perfection doesn't exist. I'm not perfect, but I certainly hold myself to that standard sometimes. When I'm stressed and not making time to reflect, I immediately default to a sense of urgency. Yeah. If I'm dealing with a hard choice, I immediately default to going to the binary and giving myself two choices instead of thinking Mm -hmm. about the complexities. What I do differently now, though, is realize that I've implemented those practices. I don't shame myself for doing it. It's what I grew up in. It's the society I was born into be the first reaction I have, right? And then I change course. Because I don't hold myself to the standard of perfection all the time. I can make mistakes and it's okay. Yeah. Um, I can redirect course love and that. And realize that not much is going to happen. No one is going to come get me if I make a mistake. And that, that was really, really freaking hard for me to realize. And even still, is really hard. But you just have to try it. Yeah. And once you try it once, it's okay. And then you do it again. And it's okay the second time. The sky does not fall. Yeah. 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 People still respect you. People still respect you. And it makes us all more human.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think one of the legacies that you've left with me and my staff as, and I know we're going to have you back to do another training, is just the term that perfectionism doesn't live here. Yeah, and now she doesn't doesn't live in my brain. (laughs) We say it as a mantra sometimes, (laughs) we'll even say it to clients sometimes, perfection doesn't live here, so we're just going to all try our best. Exactly. And I think, yeah, that it's just like giving permission. It just gives us
1: permission to be real because because maybe perfection exists for me. I know what my perfect version of, I don't know, of justice looks like, (laughs) but that might be different for somebody else. So it's what's all that to say is what's perfect for me might not be perfect for you. So that's another aspect of this where it's just a standard that perfection doesn't exist. She doesn't pay rent. She doesn't get to live in your brain. (laughs) I love it. No, I love that. Okay. Perfection doesn't
0: exist. This is hard work. And I have felt, I think uh, on my staff, I am the one probably doing the least amount of ESJ work, like actively on equity and social justice work, but we do it. I know you do it. I know people on my staff help public agencies and corporations think about these principles and walk through these, what can be really challenging meetings and moments and discussions. And it's exhausting. It can be
1: <laughs> so, exhausting.
0: so exhausting, but it's Ugh. not, it's a different kind of exhaust. It's not like I went and ran 10 miles and I'm exhausted. It's like, yeah,
1: it wears down on your soul. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, what, how has that shown up for you? And how are you caring for yourself? Oh my goodness. That's the question of the century, isn't it? So again, this is lifelong work of learning how to care for yourself. And I think to another caveat I'll share is that once you learn how to care for yourself, it might change. Your needs will change. (laughs) It's true. And so I think the first thing for me that really helped me was just allowing myself to realize and sit with the fact that things weren't okay, and that I wasn't feeling okay. Because again, like I said earlier, you can't see your reflection if you close your eyes when you look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And so you can't take care of yourself if you don't know what is making you feel off. Yeah. Um, And then I think the other thing that's really important for me, and hopefully helps someone else too, and that's separating myself from my problems. I used to think that there is this, like, like we're living in the middle of a pandemic, climate crisis, civil rights movement. The existential dread is so real. I feel it every day. Yeah. Um, So what to try and and lift myself from that is to just remind myself that that is something I am experiencing, but it isn't me. I am not my existential dread. I am feeling it. (laughs) Okay. But me as Priya, Priya is something else. Priya is just me. It's myself. And I may feel dread one day and that dread sits separately for me or that excitement sits separately for me. But just like giving myself distance from the emotions I feel has been really helpful for me, especially in a time where the emotions are piling on and piling on for everybody for so many different reasons, personal and societal. I've also just really stopped caring what people think. (laughs) Well, I love that. As silly as that sounds. And just, you know what? I... I'm not going to hold myself to this standard of looking gorgeous on Zoom because I'm tired. Yes. And you're just going to get me as me today. And that is what you get. And that's good enough for you. It's good enough for me. It's good enough for you. And doing things that bring me joy. Like what? I used to, I am a sucker for any sort of mystery or thriller novel, but would always think I was like, oh, I have to read the bestsellers. I have to read the best books that are out there and the most critically acclaimed. Yeah. But that, I didn't enjoy those books. They were hard. <laughs> it's like, I worked okay. so hard all day and now I have to read hard books. And so give me, <laughs> just give me like a cheesy mystery. Give me like a cheesy whodunit. And I am so happy. And it okay, made me were you
0: worried about like people seeing you reading these books that you thought were like cheesy. 100% what they of you. Oh my God.
1: 100%. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay. So here's another question for you. If you start a book, and you're a quarter of the way into it and you hate it. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you finish it? Do you force nope. yourself to finish it? You put it down. I put it down. If I don't like the <sighs> book, I put it away. I return it. I give it to a friend. <sighs> I donate it. So many things make us feel bad as people of color and as a non-binary queer person of color, there's just so much that hurts. And so I just don't have time anymore for things that don't bring me joy. I'm not going to read this book if it's bad. It may work for someone else and that's so great, but I hate it. I just returned a book like that yesterday. I just like, this isn't for me. Everyone loved it, but it's not for me. So I just returned it and I feel great. And I'm now reading a very cheesy ghost story book, and it's lovely. (laughs) Oh my God. I love that. I really do. It's a simple thing, but it feels so revolutionary to just not feel forced to do stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It sparks that Like, where does it even come from? Like, why would we feel like we have to finish a book if we hate it? Where
1: did that come from? I don't okay. know. I wish I That's, could tell you. I know.
0: <laughs> okay. So you reading is a form of self-care for you. Mm-hmm. What else? are you? I know that we are still in this, I don't know, phase, whatever, where we're staying <laughs> home and we're not leaving our house and what other things are you doing to find joy and balance, mm-hmm. knowing that the world is still tipping upside down
1: and we're doing the hard work? You're yeah. doing the hard work. Yeah, we, all of us are doing hard work to, to different extents. So yeah, it's about one, just allowing myself to realize that things are hard and being okay with that and not feeling forced to change it. I think mm-hmm. too, not feeling forced to change everything in one day because it's not possible. And just like giving myself permission to not solve all the world's problems in one day is helpful. Finding moments of joy, whether it's reading cheesy books. I also love playing video games. What (laughs) video game? I'm big on like anything on the Switch. So like Zelda is fun. Animal Crossing is fun. I never (laughs) played video games as a kid, but like in the pandemic, I was like, sure, why not? That's and it's awesome. just something, I'm terrible at all all video games. I'm terrible at all of them. But they're just fun. And they, like, make me feel like a kid. And so why not?
0: Yeah. Um, do you move your body when you move the controller? Or can you, like... Oh. Or do you... Can you hold it steady and just play with, like, your... You, you can tell I'm asking this as someone who doesn't play any fucking <laughs> video games. Yeah. Like, I my experience it. has been... A long time ago or playing we or something with my daughter was like if I want something to go that way I have to move my body to the right yeah
1: not really okay (laughs) but I could I guess I don't think there's anything stopping me from doing that
0: okay maybe that was not the. I need to play it with
1: a video game and then I'll go back and ask you that question I think ultimately it's just about finding things that make you happy and and having hobbies that you do not to achieve anything, but just to have fun. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we that need fun. is, yeah, we just need fun. And I think that is really hard to find. It is hard in a society where we are like forced to constantly produce. It yeah. is hard to find moments where you just play or rest. One of my favorite Audrey Lorde quotes is, is something like, caring for myself is not self-indulgence, it's self-preservation and that in and of itself is like a revolution or something like that, I, I That's true. think I might be butchering it. But it's so important that in a society that extracts from us where, where time is money and, and everything is billable and you can quantify the hours and cost of your time, it's so important to just... Spend time filling yourself up, and not associating with production and producing. And it's hard; it's so hard. But do you find guilt
0: in that, or has it been hard? Oh my
1: gosh! Of course.
0: Okay, (laughs) it sounds all good, and I agree Uh with you. But my experience has been that it's so hard for me to stop because I feel guilty if I'm not
1: doing yeah yeah especially now we're all working from home and so my couch is my office and yeah so if my computer is next to me my brain is like you could be working you could be folding laundry if you're just going to be laying here exactly (laughs) you could be doing something i have to remind yourself and i remind myself of this constantly that rest is doing something yeah that like the act of rest is important Because it will sustain you to do the stuff longer and do the stuff that's coming up. Yes. And that is so hard. It is so hard to give yourself the permission to rest, but it's so necessary. And so when people ask me, how do you do it? I say, I found what works for me and I do it. And... And it's important for other folks to find what works for them and to do that, which means trying things and failing and, and trying again. Yeah. For me, scheduling in my breaks. I love to schedule in my breaks. So you literally put it on your calendar. Yep. Yep. Okay. Calendar, my calendar rules my life. My calendar is my boss. <laughs> so if it's on my calendar, for some reason, it feels important. like authority. Yeah, it yeah. feels like authority and important. I'm not going to question it because I don't want to lose it. <laughs> Right. I found what works for me. And so I put it on my calendar, especially if I have a really busy week, I do it a couple of weeks ahead so that I can like, I have that time reserved already.
0: You're intentional
1: about it. Yeah. And sometimes I'm not, sometimes I just fall on my ass and and need to take two (laughs) days off and don't respond to emails. And then, but then two days later I come back and you know what? Everything is fine. (laughs) Like in most cases, everything is fine if we miss a day.
0: Yeah, Um, totally. Okay, I have two more questions for you. Love it. Bring it Um, on. My first question is, if somebody listening is just interested in learning a little bit about diversity inclusion work, or maybe just dipping their toe in the water and don't want to get overwhelmed, but just wants to see what this is all about. Are there some resources that you could recommend?
1: What I'll say immediately is that it's important to approach learning about and embracing diversity, equity, and inclusion in a way that meets you where you are. Mm-hmm. But so much of this work and the and, and where the growth really happens is in feeling that discomfort is in in that feeling of being shocked with how we got here Mm -hmm. and experiencing those emotions, we can't numb ourselves (laughs) and to understand how we got here and how we can make things better. We have to feel those emotions and those emotions are okay. They're good. They're productive. (laughs) So the resources that I'll share, I don't think will necessarily help people dip their toe in the water, but will push you to think differently and to see and imagine a different future and sure. a different version of society.
0: Yeah, I think some of the questions, the reason why I ask, I think, is a little bit selfish on my end, because I experienced this diversity inclusion work as I can identify with a lot of it. I have a lot of experience that I can share I have my own experiences and stories of those around me. And I sometimes feel because I'm a woman of color, I'm expected to know it. and I'm the expert. And I am far from an expert. I am I always say like I'm learning from everybody every day. And that's part of the work. It's mm-hmm. not cap out, I'm done. You're right. I'm a woman of color. So I don't need la la. And let me tell you, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say to you, Priya, that you can, in retrospect, say you don't want me to include this part. But <laughs> part of my work was I understand race, how I relate to race. I don't quite understand like gender identity or, mm-hmm. or being on a spectrum of gender identity.
1: Yeah. And, and I think part of me, one thing I actually really struggle with being an anti-racist strategist is that people do expect me to have this list of resources, this like list of top five books or top five articles that will help them learn what they need to learn. And truly the case is, is I don't know what's going to work for you. I don't know what's going to resonate with you. I don't know what's going to be that thing that gets you hooked. I right. wish what would get you hooked is my own speech about why racial equity matters, whoever I'm talking to, but mm-hmm. it might not. And that is the reality. So like I, I, struggle to come up with that perfect list of resources because I don't know what works for different people. I will always direct people to black queer writers and thinkers and mm-hmm. justice seekers because that's where the movement begins. And that's where the movement is born. Right. Um, you know, Google is such a good friend. Just, <laughs> just typing in like <laughs> what are pronouns and why are they important is going right. to lead you to some good information. And I would, it, you know, it's interesting to, to that need to have sources is fascinating because just someone saying, Hey, my pronouns, are they them? And that's it. End of discussion should be enough. There shouldn't need to be an academic rigorous study in the background for you to No, I, know. I agree
0: but then yeah. i also think that is it enough for me just to be like okay or should i be trying to understand what that person's journey or feelings are i don't know i for me i'm just want to reiterate i think that we're all on our own journey and just mm-hmm. because we're doing this type of work or i'm doing this type of work doesn't mean I know everything exactly, or that you or, want to talk about
1: everything. I yeah, that okay. There it is too. Mm-hmm. Like I myself am non-binary. I use they them pronouns, but it's not something that I want to like, teach people about all the time. Right. Yes. it's exhausting to just have to explain to people why I exist. Right, and that is mm-hmm. not something that I'm particularly interested in and is something that so many people of color and queer people face on a daily basis. It's just like, who are you? And like, why are you this way? And I'm like, I'm just trying to live, man. Can you just like- Yes. Why do I explain
0: (laughs) my existence to you and how I fit into your systems?
1: Yeah. Okay. And so that's why I say Google is a good friend. Because I'm happy to talk to- a close friend about my gender journey and why I identify as non-binary instead of a woman. But that's like really personal to me. Right. There might be someone else who's non-binary who really wants to share their story. And maybe they've written a book about it. And maybe you could Google non-binary authors and buy their book and support them. (laughs) Like, there are so many steps (laughs) that you could take. Priya's answer people to, tell their to story. my
0: question about <laughs> my lack of knowledge is Google an author and buy
1: their book. Google an author, buy their book, support Black, queer, trans, Indigenous writers, buy their books from independent bookstores that are Black-owned, is my reaction. <laughs>
0: I love that. Thank you, Priya. You're welcome, Lillian. Okay, so my last question for you is mm-hmm. what does having the whole damn pie
1: mean to you? Oh, man. Is it corny to just say justice? My whole damn pie is a future where like the structural barriers and cultural Tendencies that have got us to this stark place are gone. I want a barrier-free world so that Black and Brown and queer people can have the agency to thrive, not just to survive, but to thrive and to live without fear. And it, it sounds like such a simple request, but it is... It's really far from happening. We're certainly not there yet. and so it's a big pie, but my whole damn pie is just simply justice. I love it.
0: I love that pie, because without <laughs> it, that living with fear is, is hard to. That's another place where everything gets very tiring, because mm-hmm. it's just always in the background. Yeah. And you're just trying to cover it up with other stuff, but it's right. so tiring.
1: And you're just like, can I just exist? Can I just go to work? And
0: <laughs> and read my cheesy novel. And- read my cheesy novels. And visit yeah. with my cats and my houseplants.
1: 30 houseplants, Priya, is this true? It is true. I have so many houseplants. And that's actually, I should have mentioned that. That's another thing that brings me joy. I just, I love, I guess I just love like creating community and making people feel like they belong and because I haven't been able to do that in the pandemic, I have amassed 30 plants that I now take care oh. of. <laughs> and but so I love them. They're, they give me so much joy.
0: I need to buy a plant. I don't have as many house plants. I have near,
1: I, I maybe have two. I'll send you a little cutting. I have a big <gasps> plant. Her name is Joy and she is just like overflowing. And so maybe I'll send you a cutting because she is, she's delightful everyone can a little joy wait <laughs> do all your plants have names no she has a name because she, she was a gift for my old therapist before she yes moved. but yeah so that's why she has a name but everyone else is just like the red one or the one on the okay. left shelf well if you ever need personas developed
0: for your house plants you know where to come Ooh, absolutely yeah, I know. <laughs> it's a new service we're offering i love it thank you for chatting with me tonight Thank you so much for including me and thinking
1: of me. I, I really appreciate it.
0: I learn from you every time that we get to work together. And I am just really thankful that our paths crossed. And I'm happy to support you in whatever you want to do next.
1: Thank you so much, Amalia. I, I feel the same.